Welcome to the Mill Housing Nation podcast, where we are having conversations that matter for wherever the military has taken you. We're bringing you stories from real military spouses who not only understand the challenges, they are harnessing the opportunities to build lives they can love. From new spouses to veteran spouses, you'll get tips, tricks, and actionable steps that will help you along your military life journey. Welcome everybody, this is Heather Campbell, and we are so thankful to have you with us on the Mill Housing Nation podcast, where we dive into the uniqueness of military family journey by helping you build a life, a community, and a home you love when you are not in control of where you will call home next. Welcome back, everyone. I'm so glad to have you with us today, and I have my very sweet friend, Megan Harless of PCS Like a Pro with us, and we are gonna be talking about what is covered when you move. You guys, I feel like the regulations change so much It's constantly changing. And every time I get through a move, I feel like we really know what to expect the next time. And then it changes again. And I am so thankful to have experts and subject matter experts like Megan, who can tell us all of the things, connect us with the correct resources and answer these questions for us. But before we get started, I want to give a special shout out to Armed Forces Bank, our sponsor for today's episode. We could not do what we do here at the Mill Housing Nation podcast and what we do at Mill Housing Network without their support of our community. They believe in what we're doing and they believe in supporting us. So we are so thankful for them. You will hear more about them later in this episode. Okay, let's get into it. Megan, hi, thank you for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. I am so glad. You know, one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is connecting with other experts, but then also I find in the military spouse space, there's so many people who know so many things, but we sort of get interconnected and get this network, right? And it's kind of like you just get to call your friends to help with things. And so that's like my favorite part is I get to ask people like, hey, you want to come hang out and talk about this thing that you know a lot about? And this is so fun. So I'm so glad that we get to do this together. Yeah, no, absolutely. As you said, I love that within our community, we know so many people that do so many great things. And so it is like just calling a friend. It's not having to reach out to like some random organization or some random person. And like that scary feeling of cold calling somebody is just like, I have a friend that does this. Let me just call them. Thank God, because, you know, as a new spouse, there was a season where I thought I needed to learn like all the things and I kind of got fire hosed. We're going to be talking about moving today. Our very first move, we didn't even file for the DLA. Like we didn't, I mean, we didn't file our DLA. That's thousands of dollars we lost as a, you know, a young couple in our twenties with little kids. Like we really could have used that and just things that you don't know. So I'm so thankful for your expertise. Um, Before we jump into it, tell us a little bit more about yourself how you got into being a moving expert. Cause I think a lot of us like maybe avoid talking about PCSing. So tell us like, how did you get sucked into this wormhole of, of knowing all the things and also advocating for us? Yeah. So I call it accidental advocacy. It totally was something I was not going out looking for thinking I need to change and fix this thing. So when it all started, it was the end of peak season of 2018. My husband was deployed. I had three kids at home. I was involved with all of the things. My plate was full. So again, it was an accidental thing of how this all got started. But I had a lot of friends that moved in 2018. And if you remember that year, it seemed like every story we heard was just a horror story of some kind. And so I had ran a blog site, a personal blog site at the time called Military Spouse Chronicles. And a lot of it was just about the spouse perspective of military life and being able to kind of shine a light on what this lifestyle was like from our perspective. And so on that site, I had wrote an open letter to our elected officials, just basically about how like we're tired of this moving process. We want transparency of what goes on. We want accountability to the moving industry of 
when things don't go right. We want our stuff to first show up and then to second, I mean, like not show up broken in pieces. That was a open letter I posted on my page. And one of the first couple of comments, somebody was like, hey, this would make a really great change.org petition. So I was like, sure, why not? Let's do it. So I made it into this petition, posted the link. This was on a Friday. I totally expect it to die off into like internet land over the weekend, you know, like, great, it'll be big on Friday. Like by Monday, we'll be on to the next kind of thing. That did not happen. Went complete opposite direction and went viral and took off. And by the middle of the following week, so like, you know, four or five days later, I had people like reporters from military.com and Army Times calling me. And uh, I had a random phone call from folks at Transcom saying like, hey, we saw this, like, what's your purpose for it? And I was just like, well, what in the world is going on? And then I had a call from a defense fellow uh, working at Senator Tester's office at the time. His wife had seen the petition, sent it to him because he was a defense fellow for uh, a senator. I was like, you need to fix this, honey. And so he contacted me and he was just like, what can we do together to get my senator on board to help champion this issue? So I started working with him. We drafted language, sent letters to Transcom asking all the questions about why we we're having the experiences we were having. Through that process, connecting with Transcom was able to get a advisory panel stood up. So here we are, like, what are we now, four years later? And that panel, we still meet every month to discuss PCS issues and what's going on and concerns and providing feedback on how we can improve the process together. Each of the individual services has stood up their own PCS relocation panel as well. So for me being Army, I work closely with the Army G4 office and we meet regularly to talk about how the Army can better support families that are PCSing as well. I work closely now with the moving industry. So when big issues arise and I happen to know somebody at that TSP, at that moving company, and I can quickly reach out to them and have them step in and handle it rather than waiting for it to go through the process of the moving company, um, usually for those catastrophic or severe cases to bring some resolution for those families. And then a big piece of it now is also helping to educate our military families as well as to, as you said, it seems like the regulations change every year. And to an extent, they actually do. And so it's helping to educate the families as to what the regulations are, what your rights are when it comes to PCSing, what are the policies and procedures that you should be following. And then what we're going to talk about today, all that entitlement stuff and what you get paid for and making sure they understand how things work. So you know, when you go to plan your move, what you should expect for it. I love that term like accidental advocacy because I resonate so much with that, with what I advocate for, for our military community and food insecurity. But that's also, first of all, you're accidentally becoming an advocate and getting these calls and getting these panels while parenting three children with a husband deployed. Okay, that's like the most military spouse thing I think I've ever heard. I'm surprised there's not a part of the story where, you know, like the the toilet broke and flooded or, you know, like the the hailstorm took out the car or something, right? Because that's how it goes for us. But my husband comes home and he lands and he gets off the plane. He's just like, why are you in military times today? And why were you on military.com yet? And why did my soldier send me this link to where you're quoted in another article? He's like, what is going on here? I was just like, oh, by the way, honey, while you were gone, um, you know, he had been gone for nine months at this point. I'm like, oh, within the last week, this is what happened. Um, Sorry, it was, you know, it's like an accident. Um, But that's also such a military spouse thing to do. And even, you know, I was raised as a military kid. So I would say even in military families, there's a lot of times where someone's not leading the Boy Scout troop or someone's not coaching the soccer team or 
somebody's not helping support this community agency or not advocating or not ministry work, right? We see all these different things in our community and military families just show up because a lot of the times we don't have the luxury of waiting for someone else to do it for us. And truth be told, because of our ops tempo, we can't always rely on our service members to handle it. So we just handle it. And we, you know, and we see, especially in our military spouse of the year community, so many men and women who were like, I'm fed up with this problem. I'm just going to handle it. And we're seeing these amazing initiatives and all of this progress going for our whole military community because spouses like us saw a problem. They're like, why aren't we having conversations about this? Why is this so convoluted? Let's make this simpler. So I love that it's accidental advocacy because I don't, I don't actually know any of our peers who like set out to really like do this thing and kick down walls. I think we all sort of fell in. We all, we all have like a problem. We see an issue and maybe, you know, like me, I did a change.org petition, thought it would die off. Other people are just like, this really needs to be fixed. And they set off on that path to like, you know, go through the process and the actions to try to figure it out. You know, for me, like I had no intentions of doing any of that. It was just like, here's a nice, pretty letter. Here's the link for the change.org petition. Like, you know, by next week, we're going to be talking about deployment reintegration. Like, you know, we're, we're moving on with life here. And that didn't happen. So once I started seeing that, like, you know, these issues that I was talking about in this petition and in this letter, like it wasn't, you know, just centralized to one location. It wasn't one location having the issues. It wasn't one service branch having the issues. It wasn't one moving company having issues. Like it was across the board everywhere and seeing how many people were impacted by it. And so when I saw it getting this traction and getting this fire and this attention, part of me, I, I felt like I had this sense of responsibility. Like, you know, I made all the noise to bring attention to this issue and look at what's happening. And now it's like, I have a sense of responsibility to follow this through to make sure, you know, the change that we need actually does happen. And that's not just a another one of those DOD things. Oh, well, thank you. We'll look into it later. We'll see what we can do. And then you never hear about anything else again. You know, so it's like, I need to follow this through and make sure like people are held accountable for this and that the change does come. Well, and now four years later, you are the subject matter expert. You're this recognized resource, both for us as families, right? And excuse anybody who's listening, if you can hear jets in the background, um, I happen to live on a fighter squadron base that's doing training exercises. So if you know what that means, you know what that means. And if you don't, it means there's a lot of loud noise that shakes my house. So fun. We might be able to edit it out, but you might hear jets flying in the background. So that that's fun. But well, that's like true military life. It's either jets or if you're like, you know, artillery, base, artillery firing, you know, sometimes it's helicopter choppers going by. It's just that's like, the, you know, we, we, all, we all joke the sounds of freedom. But for military families, it's like, oh, that's the sound of home. That's like the normal thing. <laughs> that's the normal thing. Exactly. But yes, you know, when we're talking about these things that are common for our military families, the sounds of, of the place that I live and, and the people that I support in my community doing their jobs, right? So I can, I can hear our members out there working, which is always great news. That means that planes are working and maintenance is working and computers are working and everything is going well if I am hearing that noise. That means that my husband will likely not come home in a bad mood because of a snafu. So that's, that's a good sound outside. But, you know, when we're talking about these common experiences as military families, we're all moving and, and we're all experiencing some of this angst, right? And we, we avoid moving. We don't talk about it. People ask, where are you moving? And you're like, I don't know. When I know, you'll know. And it's just such a common theme. So tell me, as you are looking, and you're right, the regulations change somewhat frequently, or they change enough in a three-year assignment, a two- or three-year assignment, that by the time you move again, it feels totally new, right? So tell me sort of where we are 
on what are some of the big things when you're both preparing, we'll kind of break it up when you're preparing for the move slash on the road, right? Like pre-new installation, kind of leaving and transitioning. And then at the new installation, we'll sort of break it up like pre, mid-move and post-move. So as you're getting ready for your move, as you've got those orders, ideally they're not changing and you're preparing your house, you're preparing your family, what is covered? What should we be planning for? What are those big things that we need to know? Yeah, absolutely. So budget planning for a PCS is like a big thing I harp on continuously because one of the most successful things to a PCS is your budget and being able to stay on budget and knowing what you're going to be paid for and knowing what's going to be on a pocket. So as you start planning that PCS, when you get your orders, or even if you know you're going to be PCS and you don't have your orders yet, knowing what you're going to be paid for. So the first thing that I like to talk about is TLE, temporary lodging expenses. So this is your 10 days combined for a hotel lodging. For a CONUS to CONUS move, you get TLE. For an O-CONUS move, it's TLA, temporary lodging allowance. For TLE, so it's stateside, you get 10 days and that's that can be combined on either end of your travel day. So you need to move out of your home and you, get, you still have two days before you have to hit the road. Like you can use two days there, eight days on the other end. If you need lodging, to wait till you get into a house, but you've got 10 days of TLE that you can claim to be reimbursed for. Like I said, for the Okona side, it's TLA, your temporary lodging allowance. That is usually 30 to 60 days that can be extended depending on your location depending on what the housing situation is like. They're usually extended within 10-day increments. Again, depending on where you're at, because it's kind of location-specific, but you have to be able to show when you get to a certain point that you are actively looking for housing and able to get it extended. But it's to know that you have that type of lodging entitlement available to you that you can be reimbursed for. The big thing with that is getting your hotel receipts that they need to have the days itemized. So it can't just say you stayed there Monday through Friday, here's the total amount. It needs to be like, Monday, here is the charge. Tuesday, here is the charge. Wednesday, here is the charge. Have all the taxes listed there. And then it has to show a $0 balance, meaning like you've paid everything and that there are $0 due to the hotel chain. Some branches are allowing you to use Airbnbs. Again, that is branch specific. I believe the Navy right now has gone away and not allowing Airbnbs, but other branches will allow you to use Airbnbs for that. But the same rules apply. You still need to have that receipt that's broken down by day. I know some Airbnb site, I believe, provides the receipt. Some don't. If they don't, you have to reach out to the host and ask them Mm -hmm. for it. I know most have been graciously able to provide it for you. But that's the big thing first is that lodging expense and knowing that you're going to have those days that can be covered. Okay, we're going to shift quick. We're going to take a break and hear more from our sponsor, Armed Forces Bank. A full-service military bank committed to serving those who serve since 1907. Armed Forces Bank provides a vast array of affordable and easily accessible financial products to both active and retired military and civilian clients in all 50 states and across the world. When you're in the military, your needs are different, and your banking should be too. That's why, no matter where you are stationed in the world, Armed Forces Bank strives to make everything from banking solutions to financial advice personal, valuable, and convenient for you with numerous services, including online and mobile banking tools to help you bank on your schedule. Moving on from there, I think the next big financial entitlements that you need to be aware of is your per diem amount. So per diem is paid for your lodging and meals for each authorized travel day that you use up to your max allotted travel days. So say you're going from, I don't even know, New York to Texas, and you're allowed seven travel days. If you only use five travel days, you're only going to be 
paid per diem for five travel days. And then likewise, if you're authorized seven and you say you use 10 because you took your time, you'll only be paid for seven. Right. And so right now for 2022, we saw this go up a little bit, like I think it was a $4 change between 21 and 2022. So the current per diem rate is $155. So the service member gets the full 100%. Dependents 12 and up will receive 75% of that. And then if you're under 12, you receive 50% of that. And that is per day, per travel day used up to your max amount. So again, that covers your, your lodging and your meals. I know a lot of people will try to stay cheap and eat cheap to be able to pocket some of that because you don't really need receipts for that. Some folks will take it and be like, no, that's like half of a hotel room at Great Wolf Lodge. Like, let's go and have, you know, a great evening with the kids type of deal. So that's totally right. up to you with how you spend it. With that traveling piece, you also are able to claim mileage. So the current PCS mileage rate is 22 cents per mile. I saw that that, went up in July. Mm -hmm. It did. So that took a, that change took effect July 1st. Prior to July 1st, it was only 18 cents per mile. That was a big thing that we pushed the DOD about was like, Hey, you know, like inflation right now, like it's ridiculous. Come to find out. So I'll give you guys this little piece of education here is that the IRS is the entity that sets the mileage rate. And so they had set it at 18 cents per mile. The DOD is the one who then, or the GSA, the government side of things, they're the ones that adopt that rate and then the DOD implements it. So like we could ask the DOD to change it all day long. They didn't have the authority to, they had to wait for the IRS to change it. Thankfully, somebody at the IRS realized we should increase it. I know it only increased four cents, but that's better than nothing. Right. Um, So you can claim 22 cents per mile per vehicle for up to two vehicles. So that helps out at least a little bit with your gas. It's not going to cover everything. And that's the big thing to know is that your fuel expense for your vehicle is not going to be covered completely by the entitlements that are given. Right. We could talk about the personally procured move rates, the mm, PPM. Yes. Which Formerly known I as grew up Diddy. as Diddy. Yeah. Do it yourself move. Yeah. I feel like every time we, we we bring that up, there needs to be like some kind of rap song beat that drops, like you know the PPM, formerly known as the Diddy. Like, Diddy, oh know. my gosh! Right. So if you move anything in your vehicle, you should claim a partial PPM. So PPM, personally procured move, you can be paid for whatever weight you move yourself. So. Some people will do a partial. We always do a partial and that's the stuff we move in our vehicle. So we have some high value items we like to move in our vehicle, some sentimental items we like to move in our vehicles. Plus we have all of our luggage of our clothing. I have like a tote box full of like some cookware and toilet paper and like basic, what I call the first day box, like things you need yeah. when you arrive at your home. So we, you can go and you can take your car, weigh it empty, weigh it full, and you turn in those weight tickets and you can be paid for that weight. Some people will do the full ditty where they move their entire household good shipment. And there's multiple ways you can do that. The big thing right now is like container companies like pods, you pack SDs, ABF, where they come and drop the trailer, you pack yourself, you can hire loaders to help you load. The companies will transport it and deliver it to your new address. And then you can hire folks to come help you unload. And then you unpack yourself and you've got all your stuff, but you can be paid based on the weight that you move and for the distance that you move. So you've got that for you as well. And like I say, even if you have a few suitcases in your vehicle, file that PPM. Like it's, it may not be a lot of money, but I mean, you spend what, 10 bucks getting weight tickets and you can be paid a couple hundred dollars. 
right. back for a few suitcases. So it's definitely totally worth it. The big thing I hear a lot are the weight scales. Like, where do I find a, a right. scale to weigh my vehicle at? And you can just do an easy Google search for uh, certified scales near you. Usually any cat scale, any major truck stop scale, recycle center scales, or most counties have like a solid waste location and they've got scales there and you can go and get weigh your vehicle empty and then weigh it full. So that's definitely, definitely worth it. I already know the answer to this, but do both your empty and full weights need to be at the same location? They do not. They can be, you can do one, one location, one at another location. They don't have to be both done at your origin location. They don't have to both be done at your destination location. Sometimes life happens. And that's something that we really need to to understand that sometimes life happens. So we have all these good intentions of trying to weigh everything before we load our car up. And it comes down to the time where like the movers are coming tomorrow and I need to get this stuff out of my house and secure it in my vehicle. And it's like eight o'clock at night and nothing is open and the scales are closed. And you're like, well, shucks, I guess we have to weigh it empty later. That is 100% what we do. We end up doing the full weight as we're like leaving town. I think our last move, we did a full weight in Texas. We lived in Alabama. We moved to Alaska. Like we have got to get, and you know, it's on, well, if we need to, we'll weigh full at the destination. And we happened to stop at like a truck stop that had a scale. Like, oh, great. There's one here. I'll take the kids into pee. You weigh the car. Now it's part of our move. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so then you get to your destination and you finally get yourself downloaded into your home. And it's just like, we need to go weigh our cars empty. And so that's like something that we always end up doing. It's like, hey, honey, go weigh our vehicles. And he'll go out he'll weigh the truck and he'll pick up some lunch on his way home and we'll have lunch. And I'll be like, all right, now go back with my car. He'll drive my car back and go weigh us. So I can continue to unpack. And then we have our weight tickets to be able to turn in when he signs in and be able to get paid for that weight. So definitely always do the PPM file for the partial. If you go O-PONUS and you ship stuff to you, you can be paid for some of that too as part of a partial as well. So you may not get, so like you ship UPS or whatever, and it costs you a hundred bucks to ship, you know, 30 pounds. You may not get paid exactly a hundred dollars. It's like a dollar per dollar reimbursement, but they'll pay you based off of that 30 pounds that you shipped. So always get that shipping receipt that has what the weight is on it because you can be paid for that weight that you mail yourself as well. So yes, it's definitely I love that you Oconus because we, yeah. you know, we also have unaccompanied baggage you can do with Oconus. We had sort of a chaotic move one time, mm-hmm. Oconus to Oconus, and we had to self-ship our unaccompanied baggage. So we were able to submit it afterwards, but it was like a couple of duffel bags through the, the postal service. And we, you know, took them to the post office and we're like, okay, ship these and, you know, kind of charge it. And I'll let you keep talking about this, but I have another question. Well, I'll see if you cover it first, but yeah, question about those kinds of things. So yeah, unaccompanied baggage, you can ship that too. You can, you absolutely can. So there's multiple ways that you can move your stuff depending on where you're going to or from. The big thing is when you ship stuff that you keep those receipts, you do anything yourself, weigh it, have a receipt or a weight ticket that has that weight on it. So you can be reimbursed for that. One of the big things we get asked a lot in all of the groups is, you know, like, well, how much am I going to be paid for doing this PPM? You know, we have 15,000 pounds. We're going 700 miles. Like how much am I going to be paid for this? And the answer is that there really is no good answer for you. I know. (laughs) <laughs> not what y'all want to hear. But the issue is, is so the way that it, it breaks down is that you're paid 100% of the government's constructive cost to move you from one location to the next. There is no really good breakdown of like a dollar amount per pound that you get paid right. because it all depends on where you're going to and from. So like 
this is slightly not true. Say, for instance, New York to Fort Hood is 700 miles. And then say Fort uh, Joint Base Lewis-McChord in Seattle, Washington to San Diego is 700 miles. They may be the same distance that you're going, but they're two different markets and they're called two different channels. So like Fort Drum to Fort Hood is one channel. Fort Hood to the Pentagon is one channel. Fort Hood to Fort Sam Houston is another channel. And so you're paid based off the weight of what the of what the government would pay a moving company to move that weight and distance in that channel. And so like those rates kind of change every year as well because the moving companies will file their rates in February, January, February timeframe. And once they get accepted, they get uploaded to the DOD program. And then that's what it is. So every year they kind of change some. They do kind of align more now with what the market rate will be for when you call a company and you need them to come pick you up and move you. The best way to find out what your estimated incentive pay amount might be is either one, go talk to your local transportation office, bring them your orders to show where you're moving to, and they have where they can look up to see what the estimated rate may be, or get on DPS and go ahead and set up a move as a PPM. You can always go in and cancel the move if you decide you don't want to do a PPM, but you can set it up on DPS, put in you know the estimated weight you have, put in where you're going to and from. And at the very end, it's going to give you an estimate of what you could be paid based off of the estimated weight that you put in as well. So keep in mind, you're paid based on the actual weight, but you can at least get an estimate to know if it's going to be worth it or not. I will tell you, many people I know, I mean, I don't think it's ever not worth it to do at least a partial or a full, if that's the route that you want to go. With that PPM incentive pay amount, it's also important to keep in mind that it's taxed at 22% because incentive pays are considered income. So it is taxed at 22%, but any of your operating costs, so like if you had to buy boxes and packing paper, if you had to hire labor, the amount of money that you spent on the U-Haul truck or whatever it is, those are all considered operating expenses. And so that all lowers the taxable amount of your incentive pay. And I know that sounds like some crazy tax IRS, I don't get it type of thing, but to understand it a little easier, just think that if your incentive pay is $1,000 and that would be taxed at 22% if if you didn't turn in receipts for any operating costs. But say you hired labor you had to buy new boxes and then you had to rent the truck and drive it across country. And at the end of the day, all of your expenses total was $800. They will take that $800 of your expenses and kind of deduct it from that, that incentive pay amount. Right. And at the end of the day, they'll only tax $200 at that 22%. So it's a way to put a little bit more in your pocket. So if you're doing a partial or a full save those extra receipts because they can help lower that taxable amount to be able to put more into your pocket. That's so, you know, just doing quick math, 22% of a thousand, for those of you who aren't math whizzes, that's $220. If you get that down to 200 of being your expenses after operating costs, that's only $44. So we're talking about a difference of almost 200 bucks that gets to stay in your pocket because you claim those receipts. So there's so many, I think I turn in too many receipts. I turn in receipts for things they won't cover. Like I just... I keep all the receipts. I turn in all of the things because it's so important and mm-hmm. there's just so much to learn. So I love that you're you're sharing. Is there anything else as we're preparing for a move other than setting up our budget, knowing about the mileage, knowing about your lodging, your per diem? Is there anything else as you're planning to relocate that we should know before we actually start that process? 
And the only other one that I want to mention about is your, it kind of goes in line with you with the mileage piece, but it's about your POV. So if you are going Ocona, the military will pay to either ship or store one POV, one vehicle. It's your decision whether you ship it or you store it. If you want to ship a second vehicle, that second vehicle will be out of pocket as your own expense. And then stateside, the military will only pay to ship a car stateside if one the service member is unable to drive it. So for some, whatever reason, say they're going like Norfolk to San Diego and they have to report by a certain day, like maybe they redeployed, the ship came back late, whatever it is. And they physically do not have the time ability to drive across country and they have to jump on a plane. The military will ship their car then. Or if there is a home port change, so say that ship in Norfolk, the Navy now says, oh, we should have that stationed in San Diego. Obviously, that sailor cannot drive their vehicle across. Right, while they're, they're on a be, boat. They're going to be on the ship. So the military will then pay to ship a vehicle when there is a home port change. Those are really the only two times that the, that the military will pay for a CONUS, the CONUS vehicle shipping. Any other time, it's all out of pocket to you. So depending on where you're going to or from, depending on, we see it a lot, you know, people that have young babies and don't want to have to try to figure out how to keep their baby happy for, you know, a 16 hour car ride, you know, or medical reasons that they're unable to drive a vehicle, just understand that shipping either that second vehicle, Oconus, or shipping one vehicle stateside, if you don't fall into those two other categories, it's going to be an expense on the pocket to you. And so definitely call, get quotes, shop around a little bit to make sure you're getting, you know, what the best bargain is for you and to get it to where you need it to go. But yeah, that's something that a, a lot of people I find are are shocked to learn that they won't ship a vehicle stateside. Yeah, there's so much to learn when you're trying to coordinate that. We moved with a, a one and two-year-old, so I hear that so much about how do you move a long distance with a very young child. Okay, everyone, we are actually going to put a pin in this conversation at this point. As you can tell, if you're listening to this episode, this is part one of two. At the time of recording, we had one big fluid conversation, but realized there was so much to share that we wanted to break it into two podcast episodes so you can easily listen to the parts that you need. So in this episode, we have been covering everything that you need to know as you're planning your PCS, all of the different allowances, all the different things to use as your budgeting tool while you prepare to PCS. Again, we are so thankful for Megan Harless being with us during this episode and for our sponsor, Armed Forces Bank. Please be sure to come back for episode two. So you'll see today, episode one of two, episode two of two, where we are going to talk about everything finance related on the backside of the move and how you submit those claims and how you start addressing any difficulties that happened during your move. So again, come back for episode two. You will see that linked here as well. Please make sure you check out those show notes to find notes about everything Megan has told us about, where to connect with her. And as always, thank you all so much for being a part of the Mill Housing Nation. We appreciate you. The Mill Housing Nation is where you always have a community, no matter where you are stationed.